0: Welcome, welcome, welcome. Grab your seats, grab your seats, make yourself comfortable. How are we all on this wonderful, fine, beautiful, rainy Sunday morning? <laughs> There's nothing like trying to get all the kids in at the car when, particularly one of them, my daughter, she's five today, so she has a beautiful new dress. Yes, she will appreciate it if you say happy birthday to her. Uh, apparently she's already had a little bit too much of the day and is having to relax upstairs in the mother's room, so uh, hello Lily. <laughs> but uh, yeah, we're trying to get them in the car and it's raining and it's dirty and my son Ben wants to jump in puddles, which is the last thing I want him to do. So uh, to get to church, to see you all, to stand up here to have the opportunity to preach to you is just such a privilege and uh, I hope you're blessed this very morning. Yeah. So we are going to continue our big word series and uh, this is just a, an opportunity for us to, to look a little bit closer into the Bible, to look at certain words and just explore them a little bit deeper. See there's certain words that are in the Bible that, that are quite common to our Christian vernacular and we of become comfortable with our own interpretation, which really kind of means that we understand a dimension of that word. Often we understand, we we hear a word, we, we, we understand... The, the first meaning of it that, that comes to us. It's something that, that we can relate to and we don't necessarily push any further. But, but really that's understanding one dimension of a multi-dimensional word. You see, God's word has many, many, many layers. There's so much. You can read the same passage of scripture every day and, and you can get something different from it. God speaks to us in so many ways. The words may be the same, the letters are arranged in the same order, but the meaning of it, the way that it relates to us, the revelation that we can draw from that, but it can often change over time as our life and our circumstances change, but God remains constant. So we're going to delve into uh, the meaning and the function of these words, and, and really by doing that, we want to unearth a little greater understanding of who God is. That's what we do. When we when we take these words apart, it's not trying to find out all the different dictionary definitions for it. It's actually finding out how multifaceted our God is and how perfect he is and how many different dimensions there are to him. And so that's what we're going to do this morning. And this morning, the big word is substitution. Substitution. I blow my whistle. whoop, Substitution. <laughs> it's the act of replacing someone or something for another. I'd like to read to you this morning from Hebrews 9, verse 16 to 22. Most of my scriptures this morning are from the New King James Version, but not every single one of them, to keep you on your toes. So this one here is from the NIV. And it says, In the case of a will, it is necessary to prove the death of the one who made it, because a will is only enforced when someone has died. It never takes effect while the one who made it is living. This is why even the first covenant was not put into effect without blood. When Moses uh, had proclaimed every command of the law to all the people, he took the blood of calves together with water, scarlet wool, and branches of hyssop and sprinkled the scroll in all the people. He said, this is the blood of the covenant which God has commanded you to keep. In the same way, he sprinkled the blood, both the tabernacle and everything used in its ceremonies. In fact... The law requires that nearly everything be cleansed with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. There is no forgiveness. I uh, want to sort of uh, unburden some of the young men here this morning. Some of the young men, I, I would love to just sort of enlighten you and let you know, maybe take away a bit of the pressure. You might have this fear, you might have this worry, you might consider this something that might be in your future. And don't worry, it certainly is you are almost certainly at some point in your life destined to make some form of catastrophic error in judgment. It's it's, going to happen, so just don't worry about it, okay? It'll happen, you'll grow from it, you'll learn a lesson, you'll be a better person. But don't worry about it. Guys, whether you're, to be honest, whether you're sort of a teenager in your 20s, 30s, 40s, we can all be susceptible to acts of just complete, your brain has just left the room and you just do something. I actually remember during the, during the conference actually, there was, I was thinking about something else and uh, Ruth Shemira, Pastor Ruth Shemira, uh, she was preaching and she said something and I laughed just because, I, I, and nobody else laughed because it wasn't funny. It was just like a response, you know. I, I, it was probably I was like going through them like, amen, yes, ha ha ha, and I just put the ha 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 at the wrong bit. I wasn't paying attention. My brain just left the room. Uh, and we're all susceptible to that. But uh, I, I want to tell you a particular story. Uh, when I was in my uh, uh, early 20s, I, I got saved. Where I grew up in church, but I sort of walked away. I walked my old path. That path wasn't so great, so I walked back to the right path. And I got saved around right about age 21. And it was at the, the beginning of the summer. And I remember I was just sort of... A, i just sort of come... Just come full circle, and I felt like my life was sort of back onto the path that it was always meant to be. Uh, the the kind of the despair that I'd sort of been wading through for several years uh, felt like I just sort of I got away from it, and God's uh, God's love, and I was I was just feeling uh, His grace, and I felt like a new creation. And during this time, I met a young lovely lady, who some of you know to be my wife now, but she wasn't my wife then. And uh, I met this young lady, and we and we really hit it off, and we like to hang out with each other, and we like to uh, talk about the same things and, and you know, you know it, was, it felt kind of special, and uh, it wasn 't something i 'd ever experienced before in my life, but I was still very aware that I'd just sort of come out of this place I was still halfway through uni, and i 'd sort of been living a fairly sort of standard uni life, which was not one I was desperately proud of, and one that I was quite keen to just sort of make a fresh start and i wasn 't sure if uh, I was really ready for a relationship. It wasn't that I was searching around and looking for anybody else. It wasn't anything like that. Just, I just wasn't really sure. I think I'd spent so much of that time up to that, so obsessed with the idea of having a relationship, that the, the fact that I was sort of just fulfilled by God's love just felt very novel and new to me, and I, and I just felt kind of comfortable in that. And so... I remember there was this one time after church and all the young people, we went down to this park and we were hanging out we were eating uh, all the stuff that we'd uh, bought from Tesco's, which is what we did and we would uh, hang out, kick a ball, throw a Frisbee, uh, play some sort of games and I, I was standing there and I was kicking a ball around uh, with my friend and Laura came down, and she came down because she was going to come and join the game, and I, I found out afterwards she didn't come down to kick a ball around, she came down because I was there and she wanted to sort of hang out with me, uh, but at that time, I was still kind of wrestling with this and I really liked her and, and I was a bit afraid that I was going to maybe sort of lead her down a path that, uh, that I wasn't sure if I was necessarily ready for. Uh, as I said, I was 21. I was pretty stupid. And uh, so I, kinda, I, I was playing this game and I, and I just I sort of left. And Laura was left playing football with this friend of mine. So, long story short, they started going out. <laughs> Turned out, Actually, I was a bit more ready for a relationship than I maybe thought I was. <laughs> see, see, Laura was ready for a relationship, uh, and and she was going to have a relationship regardless whether whether I was there or whether I wasn't there. <laughs> and uh, and I felt rather foolish to be completely honest. Uh, but fortunately, fortunately for me. Uh, just saw Laura walking up there. She wouldn't have heard any of that. Awesome, <laughs> but uh, what I remember was that, or uh, what was very, very good for me was that. Uh, See, she had actually, she had, she had taken on a substitute, and it was an inferior substitute. <laughs> hey, look, I'm the one married to her now, right? So I can say this. Uh, in fact, the person she'd substitute me was, it was an inferior substitute. He was an inferior substitute. I can't help it. The problem with the inferior substitute is that out there there is a perfect substitute. <laughs> hey, the ring don't lie. <laughs> but you know, I was the perfect suitor. There was an inferior candidate. But <laughs> it's true. It's a bit like it's a bit like you know football. Everybody knows, Cristiano Ronaldo, awesome footballer, great footballer. Nobody moves like him. He has got the height, he's got all of the physical attributes. There's probably never ever been someone created who is more perfect to play the role of striker. He, he cuts, he runs, he changes direction, he swerves, everything. Now, you can, he can start a game and you can substitute him. And you can put another striker on. But they are just going to fill that role. He fulfills that role. He fulfills that role because he is perfect for that role. There is nobody else who can fill that role quite like him. Nobody at all. Nobody in the entire world. He is, he is perfect for that role. See, anyone can fill a role, but it takes a perfect substitute to fulfill a role. And See, the Bible really only describes, not really, it only describes God as being perfect. He is perfect. He is characterized as portraying righteous and just nature. It says in Psalms 119 uh, verse uh, 137, it says, righteous are you, O Lord, and upright are your judgments. See, that means that God is, his actions are always right and they are always fair. We, We can be assured that his actions are always going to be an expression towards us that will be in perfect alignment with his holy nature. It's a nature that is consistent and it is a nature that uh, is incapable of any sort of form of dysfunction whatsoever. It says in Psalms 145 verse 17, The Lord is righteous in all his ways, gracious in all his works. He is he is not complying with a standard of purity. He's not, there's not this, this overarching universal standard of purity, standard of righteousness that just sort of exists out there in the ether and God complies with it and that's what makes him righteous. He defines that standard. It actually flows out of him. It is something that if he was not there, there would be no righteousness. There would only be chaos. That is, God defines that standard, and and he sets out that standard uh, for us. Uh, And and the question is, where does that leave us? If God is this righteous, just, perfect being of which righteousness flows throughout, where does that leave us as humans in relation to him? And and the Bible is very clear, and in in Romans 3, verse 23, it, it simply says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All have fallen short of the glory of God. We, God has set that standard he has blazed that path but it is a path only his holy being can attain to only him and, and it's described to us in, in human terms in terms that we can sort of find and understand in, in the form of the ten commandments and the, the ten commandments is, it covers everything because it doesn't just cover your actions it covers your thoughts as well so you can't just get away with well at least I've never murdered someone aye but have you ever hated anybody? You know, it, there's, there's all of those shades. And, and there is no sort of, uh, there are no exclusions, or no exceptions. It is every moment of every single day. Unlike a diet, there is no cheat day. <laughs> there is no cheat day for the Ten Commandments. You don't get to cheat on certain days. Sundays is not your cheat day. <laughs> we sometimes treat Monday as our cheat day. <laughs> but, you know, the... the, the the commandments, God's law that he set out is something that is perpetual. It is, it is incessant. It goes on forever. There are no breaks. There are no uh, opportunities to pause. It is something that goes on and on and on. And and, and to fulfil it is to fulfil it every moment of your life, from the moment you are a child to the moment that you die. And, and that is something that I think we can agree that, that unlike God, who is perfect, we aren't. And we cannot live to that high standard. Yes. Many people... Uh, over, the, over the years and over the, sort of the history of the Bible have tried to, attain to that. But, but the reality is that's, a, that's a, uh, a standard that is far too high. It's the highest of high standards, and we cannot, we cannot meet that standard. And you see the deficit, the difference between that standard that God has blazed and the one that we can actually reach, that difference, that deficit is called Sin. That's called sin. That's, that's what sin is. It, it's what God has set out as the standard of righteousness. This is right. This is just. And this is what we do. And the difference is called sin. And only, only through forgiveness can justice be satisfied. I, I read it earlier, but I'll read it again. It says in Hebrews 9 verse 22, the law requires that nearly everything be cleansed with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no sin. Forgiveness. So why why did blood need to be shed? what, what is the purpose? Why does blood have to be shed for forgiveness? And the reason is because sin carries a price. Now I should be probably quite ashamed to tell you the, this next story, but uh, it's also quite funny, so I'm going to tell you <laughs> too. Uh, when I was uh, when my me and my brothers all went to the same secondary school, and my uh, middle brother Stuart is about 18 months younger than me, so. I knew his friends, he knew mighty friends. Uh, We all sort of grew up in the same sort of circle. And there was this uh, time at school that I heard that my brother had got into a fight. And he hadn't just hit, and and he'd won the fight, actually. Good on him. And uh, <laughs> stand up for the family name. <laughs> I certainly never did. <laughs> he was actually the one who never backed down from a fight. Actually, funnily enough, I remember uh, I, my parents delight in telling me this. But when we were little children in the soft play area, I was being uh, sort of being sort of backed down by this uh, other kid, and it was my younger brother who had to stand in and sort of. <laughs> so he was the uh, he was the uh, the Clint Eastwood of the family, and. Uh, but he got into this fight with this kid, and it wasn't just any kid. It was the child of, uh, a, a fa- you know, family friends. And, uh, and family friends who'd actually gone through a really tough time. And so my brother punched this little boy in the face. Uh, and from what I understood, he deserved it. But uh, <laughs> that doesn't matter. he he got into a fight, which was definitely not allowed in our house. And, 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 he, and he punched a boy who, who really was going through a pretty hard time. So... To me, I was like, oh, that is absolutely delicious. <laughs> I am going to make the most of this. So I called, my beckoned my brother into my room, and I laid out this whole sort of uh, terms of uh, financial payment that he could make to me. Now, I'm honestly telling you the truth. I'm not even exaggerating this. It's honestly really shameful. Uh, and I said, look, you know, I, you obviously don't want mum to know about this. She would be horrified. She would be heartbroken. You know, you, if you just do this, this and this and just pay me this and let me away with that, then we'll call it all square. Don't worry about it. Don't sweat. I've got your back. And uh, my brother, uh, absolutely true to form, decided he would go for option number three, And he went straight downstairs and told my mum. But he didn't just tell him that he punched the boy in the face, also told her that I tried to blackmail him. (laughs) Bravo, little brother, bravo. I did not think of that one. (laughs) Yes, sin carries a price. Sin carries a price. It actually says in Romans verse, six, verse uh, sorry, chapter 6, verse 23, it says, For the wages of sin is death. For the wages of sin is death. Now, the wee Scotsman within us sort of rises up and says, Aye, that seems a bit steep likes. <laughs> death? Come on. But hey, look, Cost costs 500 quid for an iPhone. That is a rip-off, Okay. <laughs> You don't get to decide what the price is. The maker decides what the price is. The maker decides what the price is. The wages of sin are death. An animal's blood was shed as a means to substitute for our sin. It was used to cover our sin, but it did not wash it away. Uh, after, in, in the Garden of Eden, when uh, Adam and Eve had sinned and, and, and brought sin into the world for the very first time, and, and God had put His judgment upon them. But even in, even in that time when there was judgment that had come upon them and, and, and they were having to sort of, uh, you know, really sort of uh, understand what those wages of sin were, God in His grace had said in Genesis 3, verse 21, it says, For Adam and his wife, the Lord God made tunics of skin and clothed them. He made tunics of skin and clothed them. Skin meaning animal skins. He'd actually taken the lives of animals and he had covered their nakedness, which is what they were ashamed of. He'd actually covered their sin, covered their nakedness with an animal. He'd taken the life of an animal as a substitute to cover sin. Not to take it away, because how can an animal's blood take away anything? But just to cover it up. It was, it was an inferior substitute and really it was more symbolic of the price that was really required see when I my, when, my, uh, when I proposed that deal to my brother and he ran off to my mum he was able to, to run before her and lay prostrate and ask for her mercy but we need to be completely rid of sin to actually stand before God we, we can't do that my mum my, my is a wonderful and beloved woman but she is not as holy and righteous and pure as God my brother can stand right before her but we can't stand before God when we, are, when we are covered with sin. I remember when I was uh, driving to school, and, and you know, sometimes you just see something when you're driving, uh, out of, uh, from, when you're in a car, and you, you just look out the window, and I, and I saw this sort of little pantomime unfold, and I really only saw a snapshot of it, but it was all I needed to see to know exactly what had happened. And there was this little boy and he was standing by the side of this little field. And <laughs> what I could tell had happened, my little sort of CSI mind that had backtracked, earlier on, moments before, he'd stepped in a big pile of dog poo. And there is just genuinely nothing more disgusting in this world than dog poo. And, and, and he obviously, oh, got it on my feet, all right, okay. You know, got the other shoe, okay, well, I'll get the other shoe and I'll just, I'll just get it off. Oh, no! Got a little bit on that shoe as well. All right, I'll oh, just get that off as well. Oh, got a little bit on this shoe. Oh, a little bit higher up. Get off. Ah, almost. All right, no, okay. Oh, a little bit on the sock. Oh, dear. A oh, little bit. Oh, man, it's on. Oh, right up my sock, okay? And by the time we pass this boy, he Dog poo, like halfway up his legs. It was vile, and we all were like, "Oh, stupid boy!" <laughs> but he was covered, and, and clearly, like he'd just been trying desperately to get out of this mess. But the more that he tried to get out of this mess, the worse that he had made it. Well, imagine that. But imagine it that it's us, and we are covered in grime from top to tail. That we've just been dropped down a chimney, and we're standing there in this mantle, uh, in this fireplace. And before us is this pristine, beautiful, white room, like in cribs. In cribs, they always had the white room, the white room that no one ever went into. Kids certainly don't go into that room. But you're standing there in the fireplace, and and it's this beautiful, just expansive room. And on the other side of it, there's God relaxing on his cream leather lazy boy. Come over. Come over, son. Come over, daughter. Let's have a chat. And you're like, okay, that'd be great. But you're covered in soot. You're covered in grime. So you're like, oh, uh, I need to try and get out there somehow. So you go to try and clean a bit off. But the problem is when your hands are dirty, you can't clean dirt with dirt. And so you're kind of getting a little bit panicked. And you're uh, trying to get this... Trying to get this off, God's looking at me, wants me to come over, but but I can't, I can't come over, I can't get over. Just clean clean a bit more, and you kind of get a bit of a a Lady Macbeth moment, and it's like, out darn it, out, out spot. And you just can't do it, you can't clean yourself. You can't clean yourself because you are dirty, and a dirty person can't clean themselves. See, Satan delights in our transgressions. He loves nothing more than to remind us, That that we've messed up. He's like that little kid in school. That little annoying kid that goes, I'm telling. I'm telling on you. I'm telling, miss. I'm telling. He's that kid. The little one. The little one who'd go and tell on you. So delighting in your transgression, So delighting when you mess up. You know what I'm talking about? You know what I mean? He's he's our agitator. He's our agitator. Accuser, he's our antagonizer do anything just to get one over on us. He's like he drags us back to the site of our greatest failings and he rubs our faces in it like a dog, time and time again, shaming us over and over again, reminding us just how how unworthy we are and just sort of how dirty our hands are. And you know, we are always susceptible to that form of intimidation when carrying the burden of guilt so my, my final part my question really at the end of the day is well how how can we ever know complete forgiveness God is way up here and we are way down here and we have this person who's keeping on dragging at us how do we get away from that yeah I'll take that mic <laughs> I want to read to you from Matthew 18 verse 23 to 27 and it says therefore the kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. And when he had begun to settle accounts, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. But as he was not able to pay, his master commanded that he be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and that payment be made. The servant therefore fell down before him saying, Master, have patience with me. I will pay you all. Then the master of that servant was moved with compassion. Release him. Forgive him the debt. Often in the Bible, sin is, uh, or, or debt is used as a metaphor for sin. Because sin can often be like debt. Sin swells, it accumulates. It's, it's once you kind of, once you lose your grip, you, you find yourself underneath it. And you, and you can't get out from underneath it. It's like that slippery slope and you're, you're kind of trying to race against the tide. but But it can never sort of be paid up, never make it up can never be undone what jesus was foretelling in this parable uh, was that the debt of sin was about to be settled once and for all that our account that insurmountable debt that we were under we were to be released from i want to read to you another verse here and this is just an absolutely awesome passage of scripture it says in Isaiah 53 verse 1 to 6 Who has believed our report and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed For he sh- who For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of dry ground He has no form or comeliness and when we see him there is no beauty that we should desire him He is despised and rejected by man a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief And we hid We are healed. All like sheep we have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. You see, Jesus was that man of sorrows. He stood in the gap for all mankind. That he would stand and take all of the pain and all of the punishment that we would ever earn. That we had ever earned as a people, as a mankind, and would ever earn See, he was the only one who was qualified to stand in that gap. He was the only one who could fulfill that role. Nothing, nothing that we could do would ever be equal to the task because we started off tainted. We started off, our hands were dirty, so how could we ever clean anything when we were dirty? When you are filthy, you need someone else to come along and wash you down. And Jesus was that one. His hands were clean and they didn't. A stain. He came and he he rescued us from that. He rescued us from that pitiful place. And his actions were were for all mankind. When he died upon that cross, when he he, he gave up his life for every single one of us, it it was for all of mankind. But that did not mean that all mankind was automatically set free. It didn't mean that just at that moment, great, everyone has now been set free. I want to read to you just Final sort of passage of scripture from Exodus, and this is during. This is the final of the f- final trial that uh, God puts upon Egypt. Egypt is holding uh, the nation of Israel captive, and he is uh, he is he is challenging them. He is putting them through trials. He is showing his greatness and his glory, and and the Pharaoh. He's 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 making him. He's actually encouraging him to be stubborn and, and not to sort of. You know, to give in, and, and and he's time and time again, he's he's not sort of uh, acknowledging that, that he needs to sort of uh, hold up his hands and release God's people. And so God goes to sort of the the, the final stage, in, and he and he puts forth a proclamation that he is going to go, he's going to kill the firstborn of everyone in the nation of Egypt, everyone who lives in the nation of Egypt, and. But he says for his chosen people, for, for Israel, that, that if they take a, a lamb, a spotless lamb, and, and they kill it, and, and, and they paint the blood on their doorway, that when the uh, angel of death walks by, he will see that mark, and he will pass by. Now I'm just going to read to you from Exodus 12, verse 12 to 13. It says, For I will pass through the land of Egypt on that night, and will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and against all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. Now the blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And the plague shall not be on you uh, you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. It's interesting that when Jesus gave his life, it was at Passover. When Jesus gave his life, it wasn't just at any sort of random time. He did it at Passover gave his life up to passover and, and what he was doing was he was signifying that he was now assuming the place he was the new lamb of passover he was there to be the eternal passover the passover for all of our signs that his his sacrifice was necessary to spare man of his sin but what it says is that they didn't just sacrifice a lamb but they had to sacrifice it and they had to paint it upon their houses. They had to paint it upon their houses. They had to choose to accept it. They had to choose to raise that sign upon the doorways of their lives. It was a personal and individual decision. It wasn't something that they just all did and and it just counted for every single one of them. It happened because they chose to paint the doorways of their life. To choose to be to raise that sign and say, God is my protector. God is my redeemer. God is my redemption. And it's exactly the same with Jesus. When he died upon the cross, it was for all mankind. But all of mankind need to respond to that, to receive that protection, to receive that price, to have their ransom paid. See, animal's blood was, it was just a placeholder. It just pointed towards the true substitute, the true payment for our ransom. And upon that cross, Jesus took all of our sin all of our mistakes all of our poor judgments he took it all he substituted for us to take the judgment and endure our rightful punishment he repaid the wages of sin he repaid the wages of sin our wages of sin he repaid them and denied death's claim upon our eternal souls he denied it said no more you do not own these people that sin that wage of sin that price it is cancelled out it is cancelled out it says in Psalms 103 verse 12 he has removed our sins how far as far from us as the East is from the West you cannot get any further than the East is from the West the East never meets the West there is not a place called East-West where they meet. They never meet. If you're in the East, the West is way over there. If you're in the West, the East is over there. There is never a time when the two meet. Because, and your sin, when you receive that, when you choose to be, to raise that sign upon your life, upon the doorways of your life, He removes your sin as far as the East is from the West. And, he, and His grace Took all that we deserved, all that we deserved, he took it away. And he gave us something back in return. He restored us, restored us into the presence of God, into relationship with him. Amen? To be designated righteous once more, and to become his glory. To become his glory. Now, all of this has already been done. It is finished. What Christ did on the cross, it is finished. It stands as a complete work. It is not a work in progress. It is complete. When he said, it is finished, upon that cross, it was finished. The price had been paid. But the future is up to each and every one of us. And what I want to leave you with today is whether you want to respond and answer his call upon your life. If we could all just sort of bow our heads and close our eyes, not any sort of religious reason that I'm asking you to do this, just, it's a good place just to sort of not have any of those distractions, to have just a place where, where God can talk to you. Maybe you're not used to that, maybe it's something that's quite foreign to you. If you're here today, and you know that you don't have a relationship with God. Maybe you've never had a relationship with God. Maybe you had one and you just feel like it's gone cold. But if you are in a place where you do not know God's active love and power in your life, where you feel that that accumulation of sin, like a, like a bad debt, has just sort of grown, and you feel that agitator at your heels, talking to you, accusing you, If that is you this day, I invite you, I encourage you, respond to God. What he did on the cross is finished. And he wants to finish it in your life. He wants to complete it in your life. Any other substitute, anything that you try to fill that void in, to get that knot out of your stomach, it will not suffice. It is inferior. There is only one substitute that fulfills that role. And that is God. That is Jesus. So just as our eyes are closed. I'm going I'm to pray a prayer. And I'd like you all just to repeat after me. And if this is your first time. Or, or the time that you just know. That you want to ask God into your life. Then, then, then make these words. A personal prayer to God. Make them personal. To him. So if you repeat after me. Dear God come before you this day I ask you to take away all of the mistakes all of the regrets of my life I pray that I would receive you this day that I would receive your love and I would become part of your family once more you would fill me with your spirit that I would know you in the name of Jesus, Amen. Just while every eye is closed, just as just about to close this service, but if that was you, and you know that you made that that decision, you prayed that prayer, and it was personal; it meant something. If that was you this day, I just encourage you just to put your hand in the air, just as just as an act of boldness, just to just to confirm what you know to be true. It's just me that's watching, but. But if you can do that this morning, just raise your hand right now. Raise it. Raise it. it doesn't matter if you've been in church for, for many years, but if you know that this is a time where you've met with God and, and you want to receive him, just raise your hand right now. Just raise that hand right now. Thank you, God. That's awesome. I see that hand. You can put it down. That's awesome. Is there anybody else wants to receive God this morning? to answer his call. One final time, if that is you, just raise your hand. Amen. Thank you, God. Thank you, God, for all of these people this morning, God. Thank you, God, that there is just such a heart for you in this place, God. We thank you, Lord, that you have delivered us from all of our sin and all of our transgression, all of the mistakes that we have made. We give you glory here in this place and we lift you up and we acknowledge that you died for our sins, God, that we never take for granted, we never be complacent about that sacrifice that you put forth for us, God. In the name of Jesus, we give you glory in this house. In the name of Jesus. Amen. 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 Well, that is the end of the service. If you if there's anything this morning that you, you just want to find out some more about, maybe about the church or just anything about the message, just feel free to